0: Good morning, good morning, let's bring it in. Good morning. I think I need to come up with a new not line. I think I always say let's bring it in. Um, morning, good morning. Um, so guys, my name is Adam, um, it's good to see you. If you haven't met me, um, I'm one of the elders here. And uh, my family and I, we just got back from a uh, trip to Virginia. Uh, two of our closest dear friends got married there, so it was cool to be there. Um, let me give you a quick uh, three-bullet recap of uh, what they call the DMV, which is DC, Maryland, Virginia. <laughs> um, number one, the wildlife there is abundant, and it's aggressive. Um, when, I, when I was in DC, a squirrel like, straight up tried to fight me for a cheddar bunny. Yeah, like no joke. <laughs> Like, he cussed me out. Yeah, it was, it was wild. Um, number two, uh, Virginia is for lovers, unless you don't like the commanders or the redskins, because then those lovers want to fight you. <laughs> and then the last thing is, um, they have sriracha in stock. There, you guys. I know. It's not $80 a bottle. I know. I know. I may or may not conscript some of my family to start becoming... Sriracha dropshippers shippers pretty soon here, so yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, this morning um, we're gonna in this morning's uh, message um, we're gonna finish up our series in Psalms, prayer in the Psalms. So, because in San Diego's historical first ever excuse of a hurricane, um, we had to reschedule to today. So, as Grant shared last week, this is kind of like a uh, it's like an epilogue to our series here. And so we know the English title of Psalms. Um, it comes from the Greek word, which is psalmos, uh, which originally translates to um, songs with a harp. Eventually that derives into the word we know as song. And if you think of psalms as um, a book of songs, so far we've hit some of Antiquity's top most streamed Spotify tracks here as we've gone through the series. Um, and Grant blessed us last week with uh, Psalm 150, and today we're going to go through Psalm 139. And maybe you're thinking, you know, I haven't really been digging the poetry, um, the songs of Psalms. Like, I'd rather get right to Proverbs because that's where all the wisdom is at. Well, today as we finish up our Psalm series, um, I want to encourage you to continue to move with humility towards what God has here for us. Because in these verses, we encounter a God who leans in to hear the sincerest echoes of our hearts who extends his comforting embrace in our seasons of turmoil, and who offers a promise of renewal and revival amidst life's challenging seasons. And furthermore, Psalms gives us a framework and a language um, to our deepest feelings and thoughts. So are there any uh, Black Mirror fans here? OK, OK, just co- okay, sorry, I guess we're a minority here. Um, uh, OK, I'm sorry. Um, So the the newest season came out, it was earlier this year, um, and the first episode is called uh, Joan is Awful. Okay, so this is the plot. So we start out with the main character, Joan, uh, and we see how her typical day uh, plays out. So we see her on her way um, to her work, and she's secretly texting an ex um, about meeting up later. And then we see her at her therapist, and she's confessing that her current boyfriend is vanilla, from my South African friends here, Beige. Um, and at the end of the day, we, meet, we see her meeting up with her ex, and they kiss, and they have drinks together. And then she heads home. So we see her head home, and her boyfriend has cooked a meal, and they sit down, and they, start, they turn on the TV, and they pull up a show called Joan is Awful. And as they start watching it, they start piecing it together that it's a show about her. And essentially, the premise is that Joan's entire day, everything she said and did, it's made into an episode of a TV show that becomes available to stream and watch that night. And so the episode shows all the events from her day. So it's like her at work firing a friend and a coworker, her confession with her therapist, and then her uh, meeting with her ex-boyfriend. So as expected, her boyfriend kind of st- storms out of the place, other place. She then gets fired from her job the next day, and basically it's just all chaos kind of erupts from there. And a disclaimer, it does get kind of gnarly at the end, so I'm in no way like promoting this at all, okay? <laughs> but this made me think, what would it be like if there was a streaming show that had episodes from every day of your life, every day of my life? And those closest to you knew everything you thought and did throughout the day. Would they still love you? Would those around you love you if they knew the real you? And I think we forget that God knows every episode of our life, every season, every spinoff series. And he doesn't put it on like 1.5 play speed. He's with us in every single moment. And maybe you're thinking, would God love me if he knew every thought, every action, every interaction I have with everyone throughout my day? Or maybe on the flip side, you're thinking, God does know everything about me, all my flaws, all my mistakes, all my sin. So there's no way that he can actually truly love the broken me. What I want us to see today in Psalm 139 is that the truth of the gospel is this. We are fully known, fully pursued, and fully loved by God. So yeah, Adam is definitely awful, yet fully known and loved. So the book of Psalms, it's, it's often called the, the heart of the Old Testament. Fun fact, it's kind of like right directly in the middle of your Bible. And because through the Psalms, we find songs of hope, songs expressing sorrow, songs of thankfulness, songs of praise and songs of God's everlasting love for us. And I think this morning, the Spirit wants to gently remind us that he sees our hearts. He sees every facet of us, and yet he never ceases to pursue and love us. So let's jump into Psalm 139 this morning. And uh, real quick, there's this quote that I wanted to share from Tim Keller. He says, contemporary people tend to examine the Bible looking for things they can't accept, but Christians should reverse that, allowing the Bible to examine us, looking for the things God can't accept. So I want to pray this morning that we enter into this space, excuse me, space with humility, that we come open handed and invite Him in. So let's open in prayer. Yeah, God, thank you for Your Word. Thank you for, um, yeah, for adopting us. Thank you for Your Spirit. God, I pray as we um, go through Psalm 139 that you would um, speak to us individually in really unique, beautiful ways, that we'd be encouraged, that we'd be um, challenged, and that we would be reminded that you deeply know everything about each and every one of us, and you deeply love and care about each and every one of us, God, regardless of our actions. um, Yeah, we love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so let's read Psalm one thirty nine. It starts um, from the choir director, a psalm of David. And I love uh, Samuel calls David the sweet, the sweet psalmist of Israel. So he uh, he was definitely kind of like the uh, the ancient world Kanye or I guess Yee, right? So he wrote seventy three out of one hundred and fifty of uh, of the psalms. So let's read verse one, um, starting in verse one um lord you have searched me and know me you know when i sit down and when i stand up you understand my thoughts from far away you observe my travels and my rest you're aware of all my ways before a word is on my tongue you know all about it lord you have encircled me you have placed your hand on me this wondrous knowledge is beyond me it's lofty i am unable to reach it where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are, you are there. If I make my bed and shield, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless all the days All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God, how precious your thoughts are to me, how vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. God, if only you would kill the wicked, you bloodthirsty men. Stay away from me who invoke you you deceitfully. Your enemies swear by you falsely. Lord, don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you? I hate them with extreme hatred. I consider them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is an offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. So Psalms 139 speaks deeply to who God is and who we are, reminding us of the intimate and personal nature of God's involvement in and the great vow he places on us. And the psalm is broken into kind of like four sections or stanzas. And these sections are going to help lead us through um, and remind us of this truth of God. Because ultimately, the, this psalm in the Bible as an entirety, it's all about God. And this psalm reminds us of our place with within the grand scheme of creation, highlighting God's omnipresence, omniscience, and his intimate care for each and every one of us. It's because when you're reminded about the truth of God, Only then can we understand who we are. I love what John Piper, he says, deeper than knowing God is being known by God. What defines us as Christians is not most profoundly that we have come to know him, but that he took note of us and he made us his own. So this understanding is going to lay the foundation for our main points that we'll be discussing this morning. So let's explore uh, the practical implications of these truths on our daily lives and so that's going to segue us into the three points we'll be going through this morning so number one you are completely understood seen and known by god number two you will never be alone because god's presence will never leave you and lastly you're god's purposeful work deeply cherished deeply cherished and significant so let's jump into number one you're completely understood seen and known by god And let's reread verse 1 here in Psalm 139. Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You're aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know about it, Lord. And so you might be thinking, man, this is kind of creeping me out in like a sting, like every breath you take kind of (laughs) way, you know? Um, like are you always watching me God and I I think in this age of technology that we're in um, where it feels like we're always being observed or recorded I think it is easy to feel um, like sketched out by that but what David's insight here reveals is the the opposite of that a profound truth that God's watch over us it's a manifestation of his deep care and love for us And I was thinking about when um, our son Avery was born, um, we would go into the room and we'd see him and just watch him sleep on his crib. And I know, if you're a parent, you know you've done this. You know you've done this. (laughs) Or how when our youngest son, Riley, he's learning how to walk. So I love just observing him as he's cruising along the couch. Or with Avery when he was at preschool, um, how Trang and I would pull up pictures um, from his day at school because we love them and we care about them. And I want to know what's going on in those moments of their lives, regardless if it's them sleeping or eating or playing. And in general, as humans, I think there's a a significance we feel when we find ourselves seen and acknowledged and heard. Recently, with the help of Trang and Julia, I discovered sunblock and uh, just like (laughs) overall sun protection. And uh, we were talking about it at GC one night (laughs) And uh, the next week, Sharon had bought me this, uh, <laughs> it's like a it's like a fly fisherman, kind of like Zorro hat, whatever. It protects my skin, okay? <laughs> um, but her thoughtfulness, the acknowledgement that she listened and heard what I was sharing, that made me feel seen and special. So let's keep reading. Verse 5. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It's lofty. I'm unable to reach it. And I love verse five here. You've encircled me. You've placed your hand on me. And there's an ancient Hebrew tradition that I think nowadays we would call um, the laying of hands. And it's, it's a really honored and sacred uh, tradition. And so in biblical times, it was the act of a father or a leader uh, laying their hands on their children or their successors. And then speaking and praying words over them and bestowing blessings on them. And a few months ago, um, before um, the Rogers left for their sabbatical, um, a handful of us spent a weekend with Andy, and that was one of the things we did, is um, we spent time, we laid our hands on his shoulders and prayed over him. And I think this is such a beautiful reminder here, because as a kid, um, one of the things I wrestled with was feeling like my parents always expected the worst from me that they always expected me to be the screw-up, the one that was going to cause all the drama in our family. And I had a really radical encounter with Jesus. This was a couple years back when we were in Colorado um, for a conference called Emotionally Focused. And for the first time, I felt God meeting meeting me there and reminding me that while my parents, they weren't perfect and they may have failed in certain ways, that he was and still never expects the worst from me. And maybe you felt like that in your life. Maybe you had parents similar to me that were never hopeful of you. Or maybe you had parents that just weren't around there for you. Or maybe you had parents that did harm to you. Well, our Heavenly Father never gives up on you, never loses hope for you, never stops advocating for you. He knows all your mistakes and failures, the past, the present, and the future. And he gently comes to you and places his hand on your shoulders. And he reminds you how deeply seen and loved you are. Like Grant shared last week, that he delights in you. He's pleased by you. So every intricate detail of you is held within God's awareness, fully recognized, fully known, and fully cherished. So let's move on to point number two here. You will never be alone because God's presence will never leave you. And in verse 7, it says, Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are a al- Are darkness and light are alike to you? And I th- we gotta pause here and think about the context that David's writing this in. Um, so the ancient world was very collective and tribalistic, and the greater good of the village and your community that was the number one priority. So living under limits and restrictions that's like a very normative thing for them. And even David, who's used to having limits and boundaries, he goes, God, my physical presence has limits, yet everywhere you are there. And I think this really pales in comparison to our hyper-individualistic Western culture that we're in. And this might even sound a little restricting to you. Like, hey, nobody tells me what to do, kind of like a Ben Stiller, kind of like, nobody makes me bleed my own blood kind of thing, you know? And I think David probably would trip out to see how different Western culture is. But what he's sharing in this passage, it shouldn't lead us to be feeling restricted, but to being comforted by the endearing reality that God's presence never leaves us. So are there any criers in here? Okay, cool. Um, So I spent my whole life never crying. um, And then now, though, if there's a sad moment in a TV show or a movie... It's like Trang's looking over me like, dude, are you crying? (laughs) Dude, we're watching Planet of the Apes. Are you crying right now, dude? And the gospel does something, I guess, right? Anyway, I was an emotional wreck recently. Um, Our son Avery's last day of preschool was a few weeks ago. And there was a night that it just kind of broke down in tears that this was his last day of preschool. And I had to pause to consider the reality that God was there with us, with him, when we dropped him off for his first day of preschool th- three years ago. And he was there with him every day of school, and he was there at his preschool graduation. And the other day, I asked Avery how he was feeling about his first day at kindergarten. And he goes, Dad, I'm a little nervous. And I go, oh, well, what about, dude? And he said, well, I'm a little nervous about making new friends. And I said, dude, oh, yeah, I'm with you there, too, dude. And God was there with Avery when he went to his first day at kindergarten and started making new friends. And God's presence will be there with him as he gets older. Recently, I asked him what he wanted to be when he grew up, and then he said, I want to be a dad like you. And one day, Lord willing, he'll have his own kids, and God will be there. Matthew 28, 20 says, Teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, Remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So when you lost that loved one and you went through a season of grief and mourning, he was there. When you celebrated the birth of your child or children, if you're the shangles over here or the palaces, um, he was there. <laughs> when you confess to someone close to you about that area of sin you had never shared with anyone, he was there. When you nervously stepped into that exam you've been preparing uh, for the last year, he was there. When you had that tough conversation with a family member, that, while it made you feel uncomfortable, it was the loving thing to do. He was there. And he continues to be there, and he'll never leave you. And David here, he's saying, God, you'll never leave me. No matter where I go, you'll never leave my side. You'll never let go of my hand. Even in the midst of my failures and mistakes, you'll never leave me. So let's move on to our last point this morning. Number three, you're God's purposeful work, deeply cherished and significant. And let's continue reading verse 13 here. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And this portion of Psalms 139 this is the one that I'm sure uh, most of you have read or heard of, and I'm sure traditionally the context in which you've seen these verses um, is when the conversation is in regards to the pro-life and pro-choice debate. And we don't have time to this morning to go in depth on the topic of abortion specifically, but I do wanna address a few things. Because in this current culture war we're in, I, the topic of abortion, it's become a huge partisan issue. And I think the left and the right have weaponized it. We got to remember the context of the ancient world where David is writing this passage. So infanticide, child sacrifice, these were normative acts to many cultures. We know of gods that people like the Canaanites worshipped who would, they would sacrifice their children and infants by rolling them into burning furnaces. But it was God who told Christians that all life was sacred. And in a world where children, the women, women, elderly, and disabled were seen as hindrances and nuisances, God tells his people that all life is sacred. And it was these Christians that sought out to save these abandoned babies, these unloved people who were, de- who were deemed useless to society and to care for them when they re- were rejected and discarded. So for early followers of God, the sanctity of life, whether adults or infants, was a deeply held value. And let's continue in verse 14. I'll praise you because you've been remarkably and wondrously made. Because I've been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous. I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. And the NIV translation of verse 14 says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And when you hear the word fear, don't think like fear, like scary, like, like fear factor, or like for your 90s kids, maybe no fear. Okay, But Old Testament writers, they oftentimes use the word fear to describe a sense of awe and reverence. So predating medical, technology, and science, David here, he's expressing his incredible awe at the complexity, the uniqueness, and the intentionality in the crafting of his body by God. Psalms 119.73 says, your hands made me and formed me. Give me understanding so that I can learn your commands. And Job 10 says, you clothed me with skin and flesh and wove me together with bones and tendons. Uh, Brandon and i were talking about um we were talking about gardens of the galaxy 3 the other day and uh I, i'm not a marvel or like a superhero movie guy whatever it was a really fun movie but marvel has popularized this trend of what is called the post-credit scene and so what they'll do is they'll put these teaser scenes at the end of a, the long credits from a movie and uh hbo does max does the same thing similar thing where at the end of the episode, after all the credits, they'll have like a preview for next week's episode, and I think it's brilliant because they're getting you to stay and read the credits that normally you wouldn't really care about, in the hopes that you'll get some sort of like prize in the form of um, an Easter egg scene or a teaser. And when I watched Guardians in the theater, practically everyone stayed in their seats to watch that post-credit scene. And to be honest, nowadays I almost expect every movie to have one of these post-credit scenes. But think about how it was before the trend of the post-credit scenes. No one cared about sitting through the credits. And I think in different moments of our life, the different episodes of our life, we don't care to be reminded who is to be credited for. Significant moments in our life happen, and we don't pause to praise the ultimate creator for. Like an episode of a streaming show, we kind of hit next episode, and just kind of move on. And I think about the how many people were involved in the creation of a two-and-a-half-hour two movie. With Guardians, it was literally hundreds of people working over a couple years to make that. And it made me think, dang, my whole life only has one credit to it, God. God created every single muscle and bone in my body every single neuron that makes up my brain and he holds every single cell in that my body is made up of in place. I watch a lot of skateboarding. Trey knows this. Grant knows this. Yeah. Um, there's a scare that they call, I would call the goat. Um, his name's Tyshawn Jones. Um, no relation, unfortunately. I know the deal. Well, so he's one scared of the year, two years in a row. It's pretty, it's incredible. He's amazing. Um, and, uh, recently I was watching some clips of him and, uh, So in the world of skateboarding, the classic kind of like school table is a benchmark obstacle. And uh, funny, like fun fact, before I was walking with Jesus, before Restored was a church, we used to come to this school and actually hop that fence to skate. The school tables here, which is really random. (laughs) Um, But um, TJ has this really famous cover um, where he's doing a trick over a school table. And it's what we would call like an NVD, so NVD, like never been done. And, I, and I'm watching these clips of him, and it, I was just in awe that God had created him with this ability to like straight up just like fly. Every fiber of his body, every tendon and muscle, God created. And I think this could be an intimidating thing if you sit under the reality of this truth. Because if this holds true that you and I and taishan we're all meticulously fashioned by the hand of God, then it carries significant and profound implications. Because if you and I were created with a purpose and and an intentionality by an almighty creator, then that means not only does life matter and is significant, but it also means that your life is not your own and that you're accountable to him. There's a professor and an author. His name is Richard Dawkins. He's kind of famously known for being anti-religion, anti-Christian. There's a picture of him on his Wikipedia page. Um, It's in front of a bus that's the Atheist Bus Campaign, whatever. It ran back in 2008. And their slogan is, there's probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy your life. Which is funny, right? Because if there's no creator, no God, then who decides what's right and wrong? And if we're all accidents, then life truly doesn't matter. And life isn't sacred. But the truth of the gospel is that you were purposefully, deliberately brought into existence by the very intention of a loving creator. He knew you before you were conceived, from the earliest flicker of your heartbeat. Jeremiah says, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. So let's continue in verse 17. It says, God, how precious your thoughts are to me, how vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. And Avery's in this kid mode where he uses a million uh, to say something is like incredibly big or large. The other day he asked me how many Legos are in the world and I go, that's a lot, dude. And he goes, wait, like a million? I was like, yeah, probably like a million. It's a lot, dude. So this is this is David saying, God, your thoughts towards me, they're like a million. And I think the reality of someone thinking about us makes us feel good. One of the most significant parts of the our friend's wedding that we went to um, in Virginia was the bride and groom, our two close friends, uh, was their vows. And Andrew the groom, he had such an incredible, like, unforgettable like, beautiful vows. And after the ceremony, I asked him about him, um, and he had shared that he had spent the last couple months um, taking daily walks and journaling and thinking about how much his fiance um, and future wife meant to him. And I was just struck by how beautiful it was that he thought so much, they put so much thoughtfulness and intentionality to his vows. And uh, I did that thing where when someone's sharing something, you don't want to look at them because I'll start crying. So I was like not trying to make eye contact with him. <laughs> and I'm sure it meant so much to her too. Or think about like how with our kids, there isn't a single day that I, that goes by that I don't think about them. Now think about how much more incredible it is to know that the king of the universe has infinitely numerous thoughts of you. The words... uh selah it appears 71 times in the book of psalms and scholars believe the meaning of this word would be understood as like praise lifting up or to pause and this causes me to pause there there are over eight billion people in the world and god has innumerable thoughts for each and every single person and i think that should lead us to not only revere him but to have compassion for every single person we encounter in our life. Whether that's your coworker, or someone from your family of origin, or that homeless person on the street, or that politician you read about in the news, or your children, or your next door neighbor, each and every single person is deeply known and cherished by God. And when we understand that God's thoughts about us are marked by love and intentionality, It transforms our relationship with him. We can approach him with confidence and vulnerability. And before we close out this morning, um, we also need to address the closing passages here in Psalm 139 with verse 19. God, if only you would kill the wicked, you bloodthirsty men, stay away from me. You who, who invoke you deceitfully, your enemies swear by you falsely. Lord, don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you. I hate them with extreme hatred. I consider them my enemies. And these verses at the end can feel a little jarring at first. It kind of feels like the song goes from, like, T-Swift to, like, Slayer, right? So, and in this instance, we witness God, uh, David's profound and reverent response to the overwhelming grace and love of God. In his words, they echo a sentiment of affection. It's as if David's saying, your love for me, God, is boundless. Your grace is beyond measure. How can anyone turn away from such magnificence? The NLT uh, translation of Psalm 139, verse 22 says, Yes, I hate them with total hatred, for your enemies are my enemies. And this is the equivalent to saying, God, I love you so much. If anyone is against you, they're against me too. And then I love how David closes out the psalm in the way that he started. Verse 23, search me, God, know my heart, test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. Look back at verse 1. It says, Lord, you have searched me and know me. And many scholars believe that David wrote this uh, in the later portion of his life. And he's saying to God, come in and search my heart. And you might be like me that when I read this, it initially feels scary. There's areas in my life that at times I'm afraid to be fully vulnerable with God. Like I feel like I have to clean myself up and get myself in a better place before I can come to him. I love the humility and the vulnerability that David brings to God here. King David, the adulterer, the murderer. And I'm pretty sure most of you haven't actually physically murdered someone. And David is saying, God, you know all my darkest thoughts. You know all the darkest areas of sin in my heart. And yet you love me deeply. You've dealt so graciously, graciously to me. And I want to continue to invite you to examine me. So you don't have to have it all together before you come to God. God's understanding reaches into the depths of our most intimate, concealed thoughts. And yet his unwavering presence remains constant. Tim Keller says this, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, it's a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Being known by God, it's an invitation to authentic living. It's a call to embrace vulnerability, knowing that he sees us in, his enti- in our entirety and he loves us unconditionally. And this morning, I just want to leave you with two questions. Um, the first one is, is there any area of your life that you need to invite God into? And then secondly, what might be holding you back from fully inviting God into every area of your life? Let me, let's pray. Yeah, God, thank you for, um, Never leaving us. Thank you, God, for seeing who we really are. Um, I love that that lyric in that song of, um, "I am who you say I am." God, we are who you say we are. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your Word. We thank you for this reminder, God, that um, yeah, we're seeing. We're known by you. We're acknowledged by you. That you're with us and that you'll never leave us, God. I ask that this morning um, that if there's areas in our life that we're afraid to to share with you and open up to you, that we're reminded that you already know those things and that we can come to you with um, humility God, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
1: Um, you guys can grab a seat. Uh, thank you, Mark Nicole. Give it up for the worship team today, serving us faithfully. And Adam, someone's, uh, yeah, as a volunteer, jumping in and preaching. Give it up for Adam. I uh, really appreciate it, man. Uh, and I just want to say, real quick, we just want to give you guys a little bit of a... <laughs> As we close, just a little, um, share a little update, like with our sabbatical, the guys that don't know me, I've been, I was away for three, we were away for three months as a family, we started the church 10 years ago, and have just done this for a very long time, before that I was a pastor at a very big church for a very long time, like too long, and we're tired, they they encourage uh, every five to seven years you take a sabbatical, so we were about three overdue, and uh, it's, it's been a lot. So anyways, we just want to share a little update on our time, and so we thought it'd be cool to kind of just break it up into three sections, kind of like what we missed, um, uh, what God did while we were away, or one of the things God did in us, and then what we're looking forward to as we we come back in. So (laughs) anyways, so yeah, real fast, a couple things. One thing, um, what did I miss? And honestly, it was you, like it was you all. Um, I spent probably a month just kind of working through and reading First Thessalonians, which is a book Paul writes to a church, and he, it's kind of a love letter to this church. Like he loves they're going through a lot, but he describes in very like very emotional, sentimental uh, kind of love language how he feels. And there's a part in 1 Thessalonians where Paul is, uh, he has a desire to see them, but he can't see them yet. So he's not with them, but he's thinking about them and getting ready to see them. And he says, but as for us, brothers and sisters, when we were forced to leave you for a short time, in person, though not in heart, we greatly desired and made every effort to return and see you face to face. So we wanted to come to you, even Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. And he says this really interesting phrase. He says, for who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the presence of Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? And he's telling the church, like, the thing I'm, one of the things I'm most proud of, the thing that I'm going to boast about in the presence of Jesus is, is this church, this church of Thessalonica that he loves deeply. And I just realized, man, how much joy you all bring me and how much I love you all and how much I care about you, and how much you stress me out, but I love you deeply, <laughs> right, and it's, you know, uh, pastor it's spiritual parenting, it's spiritual leadership, in the family of God, and just like my kid, I love them deeply, they stress me out, right, like, it's, it's, it's it's not like, if you stress me out, I don't love you, or if I love you, to, you know, it's, it's that sense of, like, there's this concern that pastors carry, but at the same time, the reason the concern's there is because we love you deeply, and so I missed you, uh, because I loved you, and so, um, that's kind of uh yeah that's what i missed was was you and your faces
2: um i think for me answering the question of what did i miss i think i missed just the the hot sauce oh yeah there was not a lot of hot sauce when we were traveling abroad that was not good but no sriracha situation (laughs) adam (laughs) um but i think just the the weekly rhythms of seeing you guys and seeing friends and family um consistently. Uh I think I I really miss that more than I knew that I would. Um so it feels really good to be back and to be entering back into community. Um getting getting back into the weekly rhythms of G C and Sunday services and meeting up with people throughout the week and stuff. Uh
1: and in terms of what God did, uh, I I think two key things. Um uh one is just Got a lot of really good times as a family. Like our kids have sacrificed so much in terms of how oft, how much time they get with us versus what I think they would want. And um and it was just precious to give that to them. Um someone made a joke. One of you guys made a joke, it w- wasn't even bad. They were just like, Are you ready to get some space from your dad again? And one of our kids was like, Nah, not really. <laughs> and um, and it was special, man. Like, um, a month we were away at a house, it was just us, you know, like and and it was just, a, it was a joy. Like, it wasn't relaxing. Three kids is not relaxing. <laughs> Taking kids to, you know, flying across the ocean to Europe r- with kids is not relaxing. Spain was amazing, and we got this, this insane situation. But it, um, but it was rich. And they're gonna all going to remember that trip for the rest of their life. And that time where there was nowhere to be. Like, I think, um, I realize how often I have somewhere to be. And how that keeps me from being fully present when you just have that next thing that's always lurking around the corner. And how people feel that. And I think I was a little grieved, but also excited to make changes, but just how many times they might have felt that pull in me, even though I didn't say you're not important, but maybe they felt that, hey, I need you to wrap this thing up because I got somewhere to be. And so it's cool not to have that. Uh, the other thing, and I think this is a really important, I think this is a goal or like outcome for a lot of sabbaticals, but um, I felt like I experienced some like identity diffusion um, from ministry as being like a part of my identity and in some ways, your vocation is a part of your identity, but, like, it's easy as a pastor for that to become, like, a huge part of who you are. And, um, like, like it's, 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 it's more an identity than it is to be a child of God, you know? It's so easy to fall into that. Like, I work for God. I'm not really as kiddy and joy so like I'm as I'm the guy that works for him um, and stuff. And I really felt, I'll share more about it next week, my first sermon back, <laughs> get your popcorn ready. Yeah, it's there's probably going to be any music. Like we're going to go two hours. You know, I have a lot to say. I'm just kidding. It'll be. <laughs> but um, but uh, yeah, I really experienced God saying, hey, like, there's more to you than that. That's a g- really good thing. You're actually pretty good at this, by the way. Like, this is a good vocation for you. Um, it's just not your identity, your first identity. And so that was really, really powerful um, and really, really cool. So, yeah.
2: Um, I think something for me that was uh, special during this time away um, as many of you know, uh, Andy and I have, like, traveled quite a bit for ministry and for ministering to other churches, whether it's in the United States or outside of the United States, and being able to take our kids um, abroad for the first time ever uh, was really special to us, just kind of for instilling in them, like, this world is a big world, but it really is so small, and it's so diverse, and God has made e- each and every single human being that we encounter um I- that was just really special to me um yeah getting to have different experiences of different cultures where um, you're uncomfortable and it's not your norm um but being together and doing that together was really special um I think and also to just I think uh, slowing down and I c- can't forc- I can't remember where we heard it maybe it was the In a stand up or something, but it was like uh, having family is like running a a business, like a A bad business. business. And uh, so just trying to uh, keep it more than afloat and trying to create better rhythms and um, programs within the business uh, to make it flourish and profitable.
1: This is Tom Papa. He said, "This is kind of like our family with all these kids. We're kind of like a bad business. Why would we take the show on the road?" And so he's talking about traveling <laughs> with kids. And uh, yeah, anyways, you know, they make you late to many things. Um, ex- except for your oldest, they never do that. So, <laughs> legit. No, never, never. No. Uh, last thing, uh, speaking of kids, uh, what I'm looking forward to. Um, I think this is probably connected to like a healthy diffusion of the identity thing. But I'm more excited about being a parent than I ever have been. Uh, we have a kid who's bu- he's about to go in high school in a year, and actually, there's a myth that your teenagers need you less. They need you more than they ever have in their life. They need different things, but they need you more than they ever have, and as they're becoming their own part, they need um, influence and encouragement. They need wisdom. They need a safe space to process. They need encouragement towards the right stuff. They need all that stuff, and um, I mean, Calvin's about to be in middle school. Like, we br- it's crazy. Got like, they grow up fast. And um, I think I've been feeling, like, tender around that. Um, uh, th- the last episode of Never Have I Ever, speaking of Netflix polls, I, I like, sobbed. Like, oh, they're going to school. Going to college, Davey. Uh, just thinking about my kids. And just the reality of, like, um, if you are a parent in the room or if you are auntie, your uncle in the room, man, like, these kids, they grow up quick. And just to encourage you, man, like, press in as they are getting fifth, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. Like, things shape them either way. You might as well encourage them to be shaped by the right stuff. Um, and so um just want to n- encourage you on that, but me personally i 'm feeling like it's cool experiencing your kids becoming like people 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 with perspectives and thoughts and ideas and beliefs and challenges and uh and getting to come alongside them like pastor them first feels really exciting to me, so that 's been like a really cool thing and then on the church side of things, just feeling more open than ever to like um lead in a more surrendered posture like one of the cool things about being gone for three months is like. I wonder how that thing's going. I don't know. I don't, I'm not, I can't know. I'm not allowed to go. I'm a little nervous. I hope it's going all right, you know? And obviously Grant did phenomenal. The guys did phenomenal. Julie did phenomenal. You know, the team did great um, from everything I've heard and how it seems. But but to go, hey, what if I trusted God even when I'm here to do more in people's lives than I can do? What if I prayed more than I worried? What if I prayed more than I had coffees with people? And what might happen? And so anyway, so that feels exciting. So.
2: I think for me, uh, things similar to Andy, just in the sense of parenting and um, trying to finish well, in a sense, of the time that they're in our home. Obviously, we don't stop being a parent when they graduate and go to college, but this time where they're under our care. feeling more than ever, like, let's do this well, let's keep pushing through, let's keep learning and growing and adjusting um, and um, changing as they change, so I feel excited about that and to partner with Andy and doing that together, um, and then also, I just feel excited to, like, catch up with people, get to see how your summers were, get to cuddle all the little babies and all and that, I guys. know, and the roles, it's, the roles is where it's at, Anyways, okay, um, yeah, that's what I'm excited for.
1: Now you want to pray for us? Sure.
2: Um, um, One second. Before we pray, um, as Adam was sharing... I was just reminded of right now we're doing a study. I'm homeschooling live, and we're doing a study on the human anatomy, and specifically, we were last week we were talking about the axial skeletal system, and um, basically we're talking about all these different bones. How you know the vertebrae is so intricately designed to um, prop to work well and help you move well and when it's not working it's you know you end up having you can have nerve damage you can not be able to have a full range of motion different things like that and just thinking about how uh intimate god is in the design of our our literal physical bodies how much he cares about us you know in the verse of how he created us and knitted us together in the womb but even more like he doesn't just care about our physical body but like our spiritual soul um he cares so so deeply for and I'd just like to pray that um he we would experience him in this upcoming week um in those deep parts of ourself that are either unknown to us or unknown to others that he would meet us in that so Jesus I thank you for all that you're doing I thank you that uh, we never um left to fend for ourselves um, you never abandon us you never turn your face from us and I pray over this upcoming week that you would remind us um, of the, the ways that you're with us whether it was past hurts um, or current stresses that you in your presence would be felt and be known um, in a tangible way to us all help our um, our Help us to really remember and to live our lives um, remembering that you are with us and we're not alone. Thank you, God, for all that you've done. And I pray that you would bless us, bless our communities, our families, our friends, our children. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, see you next week.